You're listening to the 123 Show with me, Noreen Mir, on this Tuesday afternoon. And since it's Tuesday, you know it. We're going to be talking about something that's food related. And this afternoon, I'm really delighted to be joined by Samuel Lai, who is a researcher with a special interest in tats, hantangs, and the history of them. So I'd like to welcome to the program Samuel. Thank you so much for joining us yeah, today. Hi, good to see you guys. And uh, Samuel is also a teaching assistant at the University of Hong Kong. So perhaps let's start from the beginning. Um, where did your interest in tats, hantangs uh, be- be- begin? Yeah, because like uh, the very first thing that I noticed about tats, hantang, or basically the kind of restaurant that actually serves milk tea, is a kind of yanting mei. So yeah. yanting mei is actually a Chinese-speaking world. Uh, like it's a big thing in the Chinese-speaking world where everyone talks about that uh, when we talk about uh, old uh, shops or old kind of eateries. So loosely translating it, it would be like uh, the kind of uh, interpersonal affinity. Uh, that, that's my kind of translation. And then that uh, particularly interests me. And then I, f- I, I personally feel a lot of that in Cao San Teng, which actually inspired me to actually start researching on that. But then there is not much scholarship on that. So then I have to start from scratch, for example, like from the operation and then the cuisines and then how different kind of stuff uh, actually evolve into what we see nowadays. Yeah. Um, f- for some of our listeners who may not know what Cao San Teng is, h- how would you explain what, how would you describe it? What, what, what is it? Yeah, Cao San Teng is actually some sort of like a very local kind of uh, cuisine or kind of eatery. So uh, it basically serves an electric menu. And then in this menu, you can find different things that you can see their origins are very surely not from the same place. For example, like you can see a satay beef, and then at the same time, you can see a spaghetti in soup. And at the same time, you can see barbecue pork. Yes. And even you can see sometimes with udon or some sort of like the Korean kind of new kind of uh, noodles, which is actually uh, spicy yeah. by nature. So yeah, it's actually a it's mix of a, mix a lot of, of stuff, and then they just uh, adapt to survive, I would say. So they just keep on adding something to their original menu, and then they try to like get to one another's mind about what you would like to eat and provide more and more choices for you guys to choose from, and at a reasonable price comparatively. That's right, yeah. and it seems, well, I want to say a balance. I, I don't know if it's nutritious. Well, some maybe, but uh, it's quite a balanced meal. There's always going to be some veggies. There's always going to be uh, some meat. That is actually <laughs> already an involvement because like some back in those, those days, like Cao uh, Zhanhe means to serve the general public. And then back in those days, there was this hoax where they feel like uh, we, have, we have to eat fatty meals so then we are full enough in order to carry out some sort of like more blue-collar kind of work. So yeah. back then, it's actually very much fatty and very salty. But as time goes by, we have somehow, uh, the general public, we have a better understanding about the health. So then we sought to have more veggies and they are like toning down on the sugar and the salt level. So then it's actually becoming more welcoming. Healthy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, what about the history of tatantangs? Because when I think of tatantangs, it's, it's a very Hong Kong thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then uh, actually when we try to understand tatantang, we have to understand the industrial development of Hong Kong, like how it evolves from an industrial city to a, a financial hub. And at the same time, like when we talk about tatantang, it's actually belonging to some sort of like family tree that involves uh, Bing Sat. So oh, it's ice room. Sat, ice room, yes. As well as uh, what we usually call the Tan Sat. For example, like Jimmy's Kitchen or like the Boston in uh, Southern Playground. Or Sammy's but, Kitchen. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So they actually somehow belong to the same family tree. What are they called again? They are called... Uh, Tan Sat. Tan Sat. Tan Sat, yeah. Okay. Tan Sat, so... Eating room. Eating room, ice room, and cha tan tang. Why is it called bing sa- Why is it called an ice room? Sometimes they're referred to yeah, that. Yeah, because like ice room actually started to develop in Hong Kong in the 1920s. Yeah, so it's actually quite an old thing. But then uh, some people would say that it's from Guangzhou 
and some other people would say that it's trying to imitate uh, the British uh, tea culture. But basically, it's ice room in two ways because it serves ice. And then the second thing is that it's air conditioned. Ah. And most importantly, uh, people recognize uh, ice room as serving ice cream in some long period of time. You know what? It's true. They do have some sort of ice cream sometimes in, in the drinks. Yeah, smoothies and yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yes, but I as time goes by, they start to evolve because like, they want to include more people. Yes. But for a short period of time, Tatan Tang is actually a much higher class thing than ice room. Yeah. But as time goes by, there's uh, different changes in licensing. And then they start to trickle down in order to serve a bigger audience or bigger clientele. And then they... Nowadays, we see Tang with all sort of cuisines, and even like uh, they have steamed fish, or like even muttons at night, which is actually quite surprising it's to quite me. Quite Western as well, because mutton is not mutton really. Mutton is, is actually Yang Lambo. <laughs> oh yeah, in the Chiu Chow style, the mutton in the Chiu Chow style. In Chiu Chow style. With uh, preserve, uh, bean curd, and that kind of stuff. And veggies. So yeah, so it's actually it's it's quite a mix of uh, the East and West, so called East and West, but at the same time, is very local. I would say. Yeah. I'd love for our listeners to join us this afternoon uh, on Facebook if you can. Noreen Mir on RTHK Radio Three. We're talking about tatantangs in Hong Kong with Samuel Lai, who's a researcher with a special interest in this area. Uh, Samuel is also a teaching assistant at uh, HKU. So let's since it's a lunchtime program, let's talk about some of the food and and the evolution of the food. One thing that strikes me about as you mentioned earlier, is there's such a wide range of food. Where did that evolution come from? Was it sort of a more Western-based style uh, uh, eatery, which slowly incorporated Chinese food, or was it sort of the other way around? Uh, I would say, like, um, when it first started in Hong Kong, the idea is Western. Like, for example, like ice room or, like, eatery room, yeah, as you said. But then, ever since its development, it's actually already combining the East and West. Because now there's tassio fan. Yeah, but actually back in like 1920s or 30s, they already served congee or noodles in the Chinese way. Oh. Yeah, so actually like even back in those days, they are quite a mix. Yeah, and then just that nowadays, we can easily differentiate. Uh, even back then, we can easily differentiate. But now, with more sort of like foreign influences, then we can see very like dearly like what they are. But at the same time, when the West come to Hong Kong, they are localized. That's interesting. And, and you're right, in the decor of it, like with those checkered tablecloths, which I'm sure yeah, some yeah, of our yeah, listeners yeah, yeah. will remember. And always, always, when you order those set meals, lunch or dinner, there's always that borscht soup. Yeah, that borscht soup. Chinese-style borscht yeah, soup. Yeah, exactly. Actually, like all the Western cuisine in the Tatan Tang is actually localised, I, I would say. Yeah. yeah. They are not exactly Western. They are more or less Hong Kong, I would guess. I would, I would say, yeah. Exactly. And it's sort of a, a Western food with Chinese characteristics. So you'll have a <laughs> pork chop or something uh, with uh, spaghetti or rice. Yeah. Actually, like, once I met an Italian and I show him um, the picture of, like, the barbecue pork in, on spaghetti in soup, he actually <laughs> told me that uh, that is actually a disgrace to them and that is actually worse than, what is it, uh, worse than the pineapple on pizza. Yeah, so that is actually quite a fun thing. Pineapple on pizza is delicious. I'll just yeah, put but that the out Italian there. hates them. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of people don't like yeah. it. I must say. Um, what about the acceptance of tatantangs with, with the new generation? Because when we think about it, it's something that is very much in my memory growing up in Hong Kong. What about uh, for young people these days? I guess like uh, back in twenty years ago, tatantang uh, was still under the kind of uh, image or like the. It is actually much promoted by the popular culture that is involved with the triads or with the the, the kind of like, okay, uh, is there some sort of secret activity that, there? 
but in the past 20 years, actually, they are much revolutionized or like revitalized in a sense that uh, people may start to yearn for some sort of like a more local local taste. Like back in 1997, people research about Hong Kong identity and food, they would talk about yam cha. So getting dim sum. But then uh, I... I dare to argue that nowadays we are talking about tartan thing instead of yam cha as a more local and Hong Kong thing, which actually you attracts... You think it's more local than or more sort of uh, talked about than uh, dim sum and yam cha? Yeah, I guess like a very easy thing to uh, identify is, is that uh, when you go to somewhere else, like uh, I study in the UK, I don't yearn for dim sum. I yearn for milk tea. Yeah. And that happens in a lot of people in my generation, which is actually much shared by all of us. And I, I guess that is self-explanatory in the sense that Chatanteng means more Hong Kong to them than Yum Cha. Very interesting. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up milk tea. What's so special about the Hong Kong milk tea? That's sort of different to how milk tea is perhaps in, from the UK. Yeah, yeah. milk tea in Hong Kong, I, I would say like they are different in quite some ways. First of all, is that uh, the kind of leaves, tea leaves that we are using is more than just one kind of tea leaves. So there's actually a mix of different leaves of different sizes and different um, cooked um, stage. So in order, so then they supplement one another in order to provide a different kind of taste. And more uh, interesting is that all the independent cha tan tang, they have their own recipe on that. And that is more sort of like something that is of the family. They won't lead it to- A secret recipe. Yeah, they won't lead it to any other outsiders, not even when I'm getting very close with them. Yeah, so that is a pity, but at the same time, that is something. And then instead of the, the uh, fresh milk, we're actually adding the evaporated milk. And the most known was the black and white, which is actually from the Netherlands. And most uh, interesting is that as far as I read somewhere else, Hong Kong is actually the only place which used this kind of milk. So no other places on this planet is actually using the Netherlands black and white e evaporated milk. I think I know what you're talking about. It's in that sort of tin with the... Yeah, with the, the, the white and red, and then there's a cow in the middle. Black cow yeah, in the middle, exactly. yeah. I think and, I've seen it. Yeah, and then I, I would say, like, the Hong Kong milk tea is actually a very... is a much delight. And at the same time, like, it requires a lot of skills from the uh, tea maker, I would say. It's actually a craftsmanship. And while, like, coffee can serve for, like, $50 a cup, and then you can enjoy such craftsmanship by with $20, and actually, I, I do believe that they deserve a raise in the price. But then um, that is something that is very Hong Kong because like, uh, it coincides with the development of Satsang so which is, it serves the general public. So it can't, it can't, be, it can't require you to pay $50 for that. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, one thing that I think about milk tea in Hong Kong is also Simat Lai Cha, you know, the yeah, exactly. stocking milk tea. Um, explain that to our listeners, because when I try to explain it to our friends, you've got to try it. It's tea with the stocking. They are often yeah. quite shocked. And yeah. so <laughs> I don't want to say disgusted, but they're like, <laughs> what's that? How would it, you explain uh, that? Stocking is due to the fact that after you brew and then you boil the tea and then you try to pour it, they, they, they use the word pour. So basically, you let the air goes into the milk so as to make it more smooth. Then the bag would turns to be uh, something like a dark brown color, which looks like stocking to some olden days people. So then they call it the Seamat Lighter. Yeah. So the stocking made milk tea. But actually, it's just um, a cloth bag a that cloth is woven bag. in their own way. It's kind of like a muslin cloth. Yeah, exactly. Of, yeah. And then actually some independent Tatantan, they knit their own bag. Seriously, they make their own bag? Yeah, or they require it from a specific kind of supplier. So then they can require them to, like, uh, how many stitch for this. So then, like, the, the whole are consistent. And then wow. so then they can ensure that, okay, we are doing it 
in the same way for the past decades. Wow. Yeah, there are a lot of variations in the kind of stockings. Wow, yeah. it's kind of like Egyptian cotton for your blankets. You know, how uh, many yeah. counts? But yeah, this is... exactly, exactly, exactly. That is actually <laughs> totally the same thing. Just that we don't really have that much understanding of that. And then the first time I ever heard of that, and I was like pretty shocked. Yeah, yeah just I, as I am. <laughs> yeah, I see them as all the same stockings. But then there's actually different stockings, yeah. Yeah. Well, Samuel, you, I'm sure you've been to so many tatandangs in Hong Kong. What are sort of the signature dishes um, that you've come across in Hong Kong that, you know, is sort of a staple or, or a lot of tatandangs will, will have here in Hong Kong? Yeah, one thing is the milk tea that we talk about a lot. Yes. And then I think that that is actually the very decisive kind of defining factor of what it is, a tatandang. Mm. Like, there's a lot of eateries in Hong Kong, which it somehow bothers on what, whether it is a tatandang or just an eatery. Yeah. And then my kind of definition would be like, if that place sells a very signature kind of uh, milk tea or milk tea actually stands a very important position in the operation, then it is actually a tatandang. Just then, going on yeah. the back of that, that means the, the master, the tea master at the tatandang is very important. Yeah, basically, yes. And then, but it can't then, just be any person. There must be some sort of special training. I mean, that person uh, can't be yeah, the Yeah, that is the fun thing because, like, even though they are appointed as the tea master, they actually need to know the skills of all the cooks, and all the cooks actually know how to brew the tea. Wow. But but for but for sure, because the tea master was specialized in that, he do that more often. Mm. And then you can tell the difference between him and the other cooks. You can because sometimes the tea is almost and then it's for example, like you add, too you, long. Yeah, you're adding a, a bit a little bit too much it's milk or bitter. too less. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that I particularly think about uh, cuisine is the beef satay. Ah, yes. Yeah, beef satay is less talk about, but then I, I find it very interesting because, like, uh, when we talk about beef satay, uh, people usually associate that with the Malaysian or like Southeast Asian kind of satay, where it comes in a bamboo stick with like beef or chicken or that kind of stuff. But in Hong Kong, we are talking about beef satay in soup with noodles. And actually like uh, that kind of beef satay is much different from that of Southeast Asian. And actually back in 1930s, there is already a feature in newspaper that talks about that uh, ice room from like Chiu Chow or Hainan uh, origin. They have served this kind of stuff. And in the 60s, uh, there is actually a very famous cook back then, uh, Wing Chen, who actually can differentiate that, okay, the Southeast Asian satay is one thing, but the Hong Kong or Chiu Chow style satay is another thing. So there is actually a process that actually goes on from that to this. And then eventually nowadays we are very familiar with satay beef, but in soup, but not instead of not that kind of like bamboo stick, kind of a chunk of meat, that kind of satay beef. Like the ones that you get from a Thai restaurant or from yeah, a Vietnamese exactly, restaurant. Exactly. So I would say like it, it symbolizes a, a process of like localization and at the same time it totally changes our idea about the same thing with the same name but totally different yeah because the yeah. satay beef we we normally have in um in cha tantangs my impression is it's sort of over tenderized i think they put so much yeah. soda bicarbonate or make it so soft it's yeah. really so soft yeah um but it's delicious yeah. um as well and, and you usually find it in uh, uh instant noodles or in macaroni, macaroni um, spaghetti that kind of stuff yeah absolutely yeah, all kinds of noodles all kinds of noodles um what about the the, the toast that is used Used, uh, in Tatanhe. Uh, one thing whenever I bring my sort of Western friends and, and show them the toast, sometimes they're really thick. Some of the toast is, is about one inch mm-hmm. uh, in thickness. Is that quite typical of Hong Kong? Because I don't think I've ever seen that in the UK, for example. Oh, I didn't actually have a huge thought on that. But then, like uh, the toast in Hong Kong, 
Yeah, that is actually a very good question. <laughs> you know, the how does it? Yeah, exactly, I think that exactly. became a catchphrase. But then, like, uh, after all, when we talk about toast, actually, like in Hong Kong, supplier to the uh, Tang of bread, basically, there are only three companies. Only three? Yeah, they are all originated from like Sampo Gong or Kowloon City. Oh, okay. And then, actually, uh, one thing that is in particular or very special is that one Tang in uh, Wan Chai, they are almost one of the few. Uh, um, they actually get the um, a yellow toast, so it's actually they add some sort of like ginger powder into the toast. It's still very thick, but at the same time, it has a different kind of taste, taste. and there's raisin in it. Oh, yeah. So when we talk about toast, I would say I, I have to give more thought about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But then toast in Hong Kong in Tang is actually quite. A huge delight because like you can mix all kind of stuff like french toast which is very different to the french toast that you'd have yeah in, you can in have Western... there are some that you add tuna fish canned tuna fish inside no way and then there are some add beef satay in it and then there are some that eat add uh, peanut butter and some other that add uh the kayang you're talking about tuna french toast yeah the That's canned so... tuna i've never seen that before and actually it tastes pretty good <laughs> <laughs> and actually, there is also one newly found that actually adds, uh, what is it, Lai Wong? Yeah, custard. Custard, yeah, yes. exactly, custard into it, which is actually a That's, bit weird, but it tastes good. I'm sure it tastes good. Yeah, I love custard and I, and I love toast. Um, one thing that sort of, um, I was speaking to my colleague about this, and um, he made the point that, uh, um, do you remember years ago, uh, Douglas Young from G.O.D., he sort of revamped um, a Starbucks uh, in Causeway Bay and yeah. made it a style of ta tan hangs. Yeah. And it seemed like the young people in Hong Kong really enjoyed going to to sort of like the fake ta tan hang in Starbucks <laughs> rather than the actual thing. What, what's your sort of observation uh, on, on yeah, this? That, that is a hard question because I personally, I hate all the fake ta tan hang. <laughs> I only went to those that is independent at the same time uh, of age. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I would say like uh, different people... That's because you're a different scholar. Kind of, different yeah. people want different things, but at the same time, uh, I won't say that those that I actually went to is more authentic, yeah. but then they carry the history, which is something that the artists cannot replicate. For example, like the clientele, the people that work there, the few generations that run that particular place. And then I somehow I enjoy the kind of tables, which is a bit dirty and with some sort of stain. With I mean, the glass table top, yeah, there's that, always that, some That makes grime. me feel better. <laughs> and I, I don't feel good when I go into a retro design decor, kind of a Starbucks style Tang. I, I won't say that is a Tang. That is just a Starbucks with a Tang de, uh, decal. Yeah, actually. And then, um, but I guess after all, when we talk about um, that kind of um, decoration is a lot about nostalgia. And in many cases, nostalgia is about something that we yearn for, mm. and at the same time, that is something that we are not experienced. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe in some way they are targeting some group of people who is very nostalgic about uh, old Hong Kong, but at the same time, they don't really experience it or have a good understanding about. Yeah. Which is actually quite an interesting topic. Right. Very much so, yeah. Samuel, you brought up the staff, and one thing I, I have to say from, from my own observation is that when you go to Ta Tan Hangs, the, the staff are always so rushed. Um, I wouldn't say they were rude, but sometimes they are, but it's part of the whole... It's part of the... The, the culture. The culture. It's interesting. Yeah. They're not rude. It's just they like things to be fast, you yeah. know. Um, uh, let's talk about some of... And I read your dissertation, which was very, very well written. Um they, they've developed like a shorthand when they take orders. Yeah, that is one of the... I would say like after all, when you talk about the operation, it's actually about the kind of shared goals. Like they want to be fast. And at the same time, a lot of customers, they want to be faster. 
Yeah, somehow it's more so, more so like we demand the speed more than they do. And then they are just trying to keep up with us. And then the shorthand is actually more sort of like a kind of like a ordering kind of like skills that people actually use. And uh, So they won't write sausage and egg. Because that takes a lot of time. Yeah. I actually personally, I work in one. Yeah. That is my uh, field work. And then a lot of the shorthands is actually derived from the kind of like I would say it actually symbolizes a lot of the Hong Kong kind of multilingualism that we're talking about. For example, like we can read uh, English and Chinese very basically, and at the same time we can write, and then that actually helps a lot. And just now you talk about the kind of like funny shorthands that oh, we're yeah. talking about. Yeah, uh, Mary is actually very interested in cha yeah. So cha is actually cha uh, is tea, zhao. It doesn't really carry a meaning, but then it's actually uh, milk tea. Instead of putting sugar on your own, they will add the uh, evaporated milk for you. So that a condensed book, sorry. So then it actually tastes much much sweeter, and at the same time, some people prefer that. Yeah, and then one thing you talk about that is very funny about uh, the kind of shorthand is that the shorthand one is in written form, one is in the spoken form. Yeah. So there is actually this kind of like uh, reference to popular culture. For example, like uh, Wong Ajie, we're talking about uh, Lisa Wong Mingchun yes. in Hong Kong. So he's a very she's a very famous person back in those days, uh, even till now. And that actually uh, means uh, hot coffee. Really? Oh, yeah. because did she sing that song? Exactly, cafe, exactly. Oh. And this is one thing. And another thing that I find really interesting is uh, French toast. You talk about French toast. It's actually called Hawaii. Wong Hawaii. Lisa Wong Hawaii. So why is that totally related? It's actually a long story. So when you talk about French toast, you have to understand that we are eating with, with uh, usually condensed milk or the, the kind of like maple syrup, right? Yes. And then the syrup, when you pour it, is like pouring molten plastic. <laughs> the so, golden syrup is like this. Yeah, so that, that rings a bell in a lot of like the people in Hong Kong. Because she's had plastic surgery done. No, no, that is the kind of misunderstanding. Oh. The pouring of the molten plastic, so molten plastic is gao, right? Yeah. Plastic. Lam is pouring. Yeah. Lam gao. Lam gao is the boyfriend of Oh. Wong Hawaii back in 1948. <laughs> and that is the kind of long story that people actually made up and eventually... It's French toast French is Hawaii. So that is actually quite a long story, but at the same time, it's very fun. Samuel, I could speak to you for another hour, but I'm so sorry, we're out of time today. I look forward to inviting you back on next time to share more with our listeners. Thank you so much uh, to Samuel Lai, who has a special interest in the history of Ta Tan Things here in Hong Kong. Thank you so much for 